Hello, World Wide Web, and welcome back to another episode of Fringe Religion. I am your host, Zelda Reed, and shortly we'll be segueing into the episode, but I just wanted to give a little content warning beforehand because I'm immediately going to go into a short story that depicts uh, violent death in the afterlife. Not not too heavy, but um, just a little bit, so in case that's tender, you can skip forward to that to like the six minute mark or something. But regardless, anyways, we're about to snap into a big old episode about eggs. So here we go. You were on your way home when you died. It was a car accident. Nothing particularly remarkable, but fatal nonetheless. You left behind a wife and two children. It was a painless death. And that's when you met me. What? What happened, you asked? Where am I? You died, I said matter-of-factly. No point in mincing words. There, there was a truck and it was skidding. Yep, I said. You looked around. There was nothingness. Just you and me. What is this place, you asked? Is this the afterlife? Mm, more or less, I said. You looked at me with fascination. To you, I didn't look like God. I just looked like some man. Or possibly a woman. Some vague authority figure, maybe. More of a grammar school teacher than the Almighty. Oh, you said. So what happens now? Do I go to heaven or hell or something? Neither, I said. You'll be reincarnated. So what's the point then, you asked? When I get reborn, I'll just be a blank state, right? A baby. So all my experiences and everything I did in this life won't matter. <laughs> Not so, I said. You have within you all of the knowledge and experiences of all your past lives. You just don't remember them right now. I took you by the shoulders. Your soul is more magnificent, beautiful, and gigantic than you can possibly imagine. A human mind can only contain a tiny fraction of what you are. It's like sticking your finger in a glass of water to see if it's hot or cold. You put a tiny part of yourself into the vessel, and when you bring it back out, you've gained all the experiences it had. So what's the point of it all? Seriously? I asked. Seriously, you're asking me for the meaning of life? Isn't that a little bit stereotypical? Well, it's a reasonable question, you persisted. I looked you in the eye. The meaning of life, the reason I made this whole universe, is for you to mature. You mean mankind, you want us all to mature. No, just you. I made this whole universe for you. With each new life, you grow and mature and become larger and greater intellect. Just me? What about everyone else? There is no one else, I said. In this universe, there's just you and me. You stared blankly at me. But all the people on Earth. All you. Different incarnations of you. Wait, I'm everyone? Now you're getting it, I said, with a congratulatory slap on the back. I'm every human being who ever lived? Or will ever live, yes. You fell silent. 
Every time you victimized someone, I said, you were victimizing yourself. Every act of kindness you've done, you've done to yourself. Every happy and sad moment ever experienced by any human was, or will be, experienced by you. You thought for a very long time. Why, you asked me, why do all this? Because someday you will become like me, because that's what you are. You're one of my kind. You're my child. Whoa, you said incredulous. You mean I'm a god? No, not yet. You're a fetus. You're still growing. Once you've lived every human life throughout all time, you will have grown enough to be born. So the whole universe, you said, it's just an egg, I answered. Now it's time for you to move on to your next life. And I sent you on your way. That was the short story, The Egg, by Andy Weir. It was written in 2009, but I think it had a really big resurgence on social medias, especially Twitter, around 2019. At least that's when a lot of people started showing it to me. And um, that was an edited version. I shortened it a little bit for clarity. But um, yeah, that story has stuck with me. And... I thought it was kind of funny at the time that people were like, oh, the egg, the cosmic egg. The cosmic egg is like such a little meme, it's a little bit. But at the same time, it has a really long history throughout at least the Eastern Hemisphere, and it's been pretty well embedded in our collective consciousness in that way for at least a handful of millennia now. Um, so... That's why I wanted to introduce this episode with the egg, because it it really shows how prevalent the egg idea, the cosmic egg is, um, even in today when it has literally been like 3,000 years since people have been looking at eggs and <laughs> seeing ourselves and our universe and our conceptions of the celestial sphere, which is the little circle that used to be thought to encapsulate all of the universe. So yeah, uh, this episode is The Cosmic Egg. Thank you very much for joining me. If you like the content that I'm creating, you can follow me on Instagram at fringe.religion where you'll get more real-time updates on what I'm doing, on episodes that are coming out, on suggestions and comments and things like that. You can also email me for those things at fringereligionpod at gmail.com and if by chance you have any capacity to financially support the show and all of the hours that I put into research, recording, editing, all that, you can find me at Patreon at Fringe Religion. We are already up to five patrons which is super exciting for me because um, that happened really quick and now I'm getting compensated a little bit for my time putting um, my time towards this passion project and that just really feels super super nice um, that people like it that much um, and anyways yeah so welcome back to fringe religion uh, we're gonna be talking about eggs so let's get started so when I'm talking about cosmic egg it is also referred to um, in academia or writing or 
any anything else as um, the cosmic egg, the world egg, the perennial egg, the mystic egg, all of these things. But basically, it centers around an esoteric interpretation of the egg as a symbol of creation or unity, all of these things. And so when we talk about the cosmic egg as the foundation of creation, uh, that's called an ab ovo creation myth. So in Latin, like ab, I think is of, ovo, egg. And there are so many ab ovo creation myths. Um, and then later, after all of these creation myths that are really prevalent around, you know, like 1000 BC onwards, they take on a plethora of symbolic meaning, specifically in the Abrahamic faiths. Um, and then we get into the specificity of what type of egg we're talking about. And what's interesting is before it's like any old egg, big old cosmic egg, perennial egg in the sky. And then it becomes a very real material ostrich egg. Um, so the second half of this episode is going to focus on ostrich eggs as they feature in temples, mosques, churches, all of that. Um, specifically in the way that they show up in art and architecture. So when we're talking about ab ovo creation myths, I'm a little bit hesitant to use the word myth because um, I don't want to take away from these stories and the very real tangible impact that they have on people's lives and many places that still believe very fully in these things. And that, I don't know, that's just like a little caveat that I wanted to put in there, um, that throughout like all time, people use different metaphors as a symbol to convey very real physical things that have happened. And I think specifically in the case of ab ovo creation myths, they have a lot of parallels between something like the Big Bang, which we'll get into later. And so just when I say the word myths, just note these are origin histories that are just using the egg as a symbol and I think it really speaks to a knowledge that people had back in the day that was actually like not that bizarre to think of and actually pretty pretty solid and not that far off um I just wanted to say that so when we're looking at an egg evidently you know maybe you dear listener will go into your kitchen right now or your local deli and look at an egg and this is the thing that's uh that symbol always ties back to is what do you immediately see that translates beyond language and space and time what do you immediately see when you look at that egg like really zone in on that egg did you do it okay maybe maybe you did it or just holding a picture in your mind or something you know, there's the, the distinct three parts of it, the shell, the membrane, and the yolk. But at the same time, you can look at an egg and see it as like an inert object, like something that's not fertilized and something that is food and sustenance for other life. And at the same time, it could also be the, the pre-consciousness of an entire being, like if a chicken hatches out of it. So it's sort of this... Um, eye of the beholder type thing about seeing something stagnant and then also might be contained for life also might be a symbol of death that is used to sustain new life so 
the parallels that are drawn from that sort of obvious obvious conclusion of looking at an egg are analogies between cosmic birth and earthly birth. You know, it intuitively makes sense because this is like a primary example of the creation of consciousness that we can see in real life. Like we can look at an egg and understand that that is a potential new being that's being brought into existence but we don't know because it's like very still and stagnant um which I thought was interesting that you know they don't gravitate more towards like a mother giving birth symbol but it's almost like more of a poetic image because there's an uncertainty there just as there was uncertainty of our own universal creation and like the whole chicken and the egg type vibe like what like how did matter get here what what preceded matter can anything precede matter was it just like always there and it was changing form um so i love that i i love i genuinely love that the conclusion of like all of the symbology is like the egg came first the egg 100 came first and the egg was brought about by like a, a cosmic a cosmic ocean of chaos and I just want to make sure we're all on the same page with this sort of thing because um, this is how my brain works. I'm always looking at the symbol of very small particular things. But you, listener, as you're thinking about the egg, it intuitively makes sense, right? That it's this still thing, as I'm saying. And it could either be what is about to become new life or it could be something that's already dead in a way, or at least already non-sentient and fuel for existing life. So in a very real, tangible way, anybody across the world who is aware of what an egg is, which I assume is damn near 100% of the human population, um, you can look at it and intuitively come to these conclusions and what i'm saying is the symbols that independently crop up around religion or um any sort of like esoteric ideas are things that you can intuitively gauge without having the context of you know words or any any sort of larger image um and there's actually this latin proverb Omni vivum ex ovo, all life comes from the egg. Um, in any in a very real physical way, all all life does come from an egg, at least for all like mammals and stuff like that, or any animals. Um, and so, you know, if you're following, this can be taken to a cosmic scale. Hence, if you know, if an egg is what starts a lot of physical birth on earth like all animals come from the egg um then on a more cosmic scale there is potentially also an egg that the universe originated from and that thing may also either be still and an object and fuel for new life or it may be the the seat of new life all unto itself so I just wanted to go into that for a second longer um, so that we can all play with the intuitive symbol of the egg and what 
it might be saying if the egg is the beginning of all things that we see in the animal kingdom then it may also that symbol may also be carried to a macro scale and when i'm likening this to the big bang you know there's the idea of the universe moving super fast from all of this like hot condensed originating point and so that originating point um which preceded the expansion and development of the cosmos is theorized to be called the big bang singularity which is um like a a a very small small beginning point it's like really hot and really dense and it literally precedes space and time and this is like the the most prevalent idea of like our physical understanding of the universe right now is that the big bang originated with this singularity point and that point is the egg if that helps you think about what this egg symbolizes it's um in a vast field of nothingness there arises a single originating point with the potential for infinite expansion contained within it and that is the cosmic egg the big bang singularity the 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 mystical origins of um of the whole thing and so tying it back to what i was saying earlier it's just like what what do we mean when we say like myth or theory it's just the way that like in our given in our given educational and like cultural context like how we understand it but pretty much like the the egg was this this notion in a in a less sciencey way and in a more um in a more intuitively like gaugeable way and that's it so i think we're all on the same page now so that being said the ab ovo creation myths are also usually in conjunction with something called primordial waters which is this symbol of you know because if if religions specifically the abrahamic religions if they're not talking about an egg they're talking about a flood so you know we see we see water and eggs as like really big symbols popping up especially early on so anyways back to the primordial waters it's like this vast ocean of chaos and matter and numa all swirling around uh in like this primeval sea um and then the egg crops up from that which is almost seen as cross-culturally at least in the eastern hemisphere it's seen as the soul of the waters so it's almost like the will of all of this chaos swirling around in the choppy sea gives rise to a material thing that is you know still and stagnant but has the potential for life which which isn't far off from how we conceptualize the origin of the universe today from a very uh like scientific point of view it's like it was a lot of chaos swirling around things crashed into each other and then for one reason or another whether it was by like the will of individual atoms whatever that looks like material matter came from that and in these ab ovo creation myths that material divides into three things so again we have the symbol of the egg the shell the membrane the yolk three things which is a shell like a heavenly realm 
a yolk, which is an earthly realm. And then all of the membrane is like the divine or non-physical realm that's like holding it all together. So, um, just to establish the foundation of what all of the ab ovo creation myths are, it is chaos giving rise to the three realms. It is chaos giving rise to the three realms of heaven, earth, and the gray area, basically. And so we're going to get into some of the different cultural stories that line up with that, which, very interestingly enough, all evidence points to these being independently rising creation myths. So this is not, this is not like in the case of unicorns from last week. This is not a case of one story traveling over a landmass. This is a lot of at the same time different cultures are gravitating towards the same symbol and i personally think that's really cool and then even later on we'll see in christianity islam judaism there's a lot of debate about whether the egg persists as a symbol because of interreligious crossover or if it's just something people independently decide are a really good symbol and most scholars that are researching these things actually side with these are independently occurring conclusions that people were drawing within these faiths is that the egg is the perfect symbol so if you're here and with me and you got all of that we're gonna hop into some of the different places and their little ab ovo creation myths before we go into the later stuff the next few minutes will actually be like Guy Fieri's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives for Religious Studies because we're going to be talking eggs around all of these different places. Um, so I feel like he's going to be happy. If, so Guy Fieri, if you're listening, thank you for being the inspiration. I actually used to have a hedgehog named Guy Fieri, oddly. And uh, yeah, so the way that he's living in my brain 24-7 is absolutely unwarranted. Anyways, besides the point, let's start off in Egypt. So Egypt and Mesopotamia are the earliest examples of egg lore and basically what this was was uh like hieroglyphics tell us that in the beginning there was an infinite body of water those primordial waters called noon or nu uh, and it's an unconscious unthinking motionless eternal sea and it's swirling around and in one story the sun god ra emerges from an egg birthed by the sea um which was manifested by the sea's will and uh yeah, so Ra, we all know Ra, like the, what is that, like vulture with like the circle above his head. And subsequently, the whole pantheon of Egyptian gods are born from this. So it's like the beginning of all the universe. And Ra becomes like the creator of, you know, earth and stuff, riding on his little chariot from dawn to dusk. Um, yeah, so I, I just like that visual of everything being surrounded by darkness. Then step it over to India. The, in, the, in the writing of the Satapatha Brahmana, there's the story of Prajapati's birth, who is um, a Vedic god who basically later becomes adapted into Brahma, which is the creator god of Hinduism. So um, again, with Prajapati, it's like there's an original maternal water and the water decides it's its desire 
to reproduce and through a series of like prolonged rituals that the water is conducting uh, the waters become so hot that they give birth to a golden egg and Prajapati hatches from this egg and becomes the god of creation so again it all starts with egg regardless over to China in China the giant Pangu one of the oldest figures in Chinese cosmology, by the way, um, Pangu is considered the first living being of the universe. Same type of deal, chaos swirled into the shape of an egg that held the entire cosmos, and then yin and yang were balanced within that egg. And then uh, Pangu was created through the, the sort of like dance of the yin and yang. And when the egg broke, the white, I really liked this one. That, I'm not gonna lie this one may have won for my favorite little story um, when the egg broke the whites became the clouds in the sky the yolk is the earth and the shell halves because it split in two one half became the Sun and one half became the moon I really like that um, and that was sort of adapted in Japan uh, in the 8th century around there's a history book called the Nihongi which is a version of the Chinese myth, a written version, although like spoken versions were already a thing, spoken and drawn out versions. Anyways, but heaven and earth were one entity and the yin yang, also in Japan, the yin and yo, were an egg-like chaos containing all of the seeds of creation. And interestingly enough, this is the first time we ever see the word egg written in Japanese is in the Nihongi, in the 8th century and it is in reference to this divine egg um, and sort of a little bit different but kind of the same to the Chinese myth the heaven is or heaven is made from the shell humanity is the yolk and the angels are the white membrane in between which I also like because it's like the divine little angel realm is like pushing up against heaven also holding in earth it's really sweet um, yeah, so that's, I think that's really sick that the first time we even like have the word egg being written in Japan, it was to write this like super killer saga. Um, yeah, you got to respect eggs after that. And, you know, interestingly, when Buddhism was brought to Japan, I think in Japan more than in China, there was a lot of debate around whether or not eggs were included with the prohibition of meat in Buddhism. And in Japan, they were like, yeah, definitely not, definitely do not eat the eggs. And I wonder if this is why, or a continuation of that line of thinking is because like we see eggs as being, you know, a, a seat for creation. Just something I'm simmering on this afternoon. I don't know. I don't know. That's just my pondering. Okay, so let me hop over to Greece, where there's the Pella, Pella, Pelasgians, Pella, Pelasigians, Pelasgians, which are basically the ancestors of what we later come to consider Greece and Greek people. So there was like the original being, kind of a Greek Gaia, like a Greek like creation mother type of thing, or a Pelasgian, Pelasgian uh, mother who lays the world egg, or like laid it, you know, popped a squat and had an egg. And then ordered the cosmic snake Orphean to encircle it until it hatched the world. And there's actually a lot of um, 
there's a lot of symbols still like i think in masonic symbolism and just you know in like architecture where you'll see a snake wrapping around an egg and that's where it's coming from is in homage to uh ancient ancient greek ideas of how the world was birthed it was um yeah this snake <laughs> snag <laughs> it was the snag the symbol of the snag the snake incubating the egg the snag and then there's also later on the orphic cult in greece which was like a a more esoteric or like mysterious Dionysian religion in Greece. We could do a whole episode about that alone. I think it's really interesting. Anyways, so there's the Orphic cult in Greece that preaches that in the beginning there was a silver cosmic egg created by time, capital T, time, like time as an entity, that hatched an androgynous being who contained the seeds of creation. So it's sort of, um, it's sort of a multiplicity there of having the non-differentiation in the form of the egg and then the egg giving birth to a more animated non-differentiated being in the form of the androgynous person god who contained the seeds of creation then we pop over to west africa there's the dogon myth that says in the beginning the world egg was divided into two birth sacs so again you know we got similarities to the yin and yang going on in china um, the world egg divides into two birth sacs t- containing blah, 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 blah. the Dogon myth in West Africa says that the, in the beginning, a world egg divided into two birth sacs. So we see a parallel with the yin and yang again, containing sets of twins fathered by the creator god Ama. But there's also a, I don't want to say competing, but another creation myth that says Ama was the cosmic egg that fertilized himself into being born and then the the twins came later so yeah it's like the the non-differentiation differentiation thing again anyways and then Monday people in west africa again the say that in the beginning the creator placed various kinds of seeds in the world egg and among these were seeds for two pairs of twins um each one made out of each like set so two pairs of twins as in like four four beings that are you know two pairs of twins two female two male and these would become the first people that populate the world and then to hit some islands polynesians specifically tahitians have a myth in which the god teroa begins existence in an egg and eventually breaks out of the egg to become part of the sky um and then Teroa becomes the earth. So I don't know if I explained that clearly. Teroa breaks out of the egg. The egg becomes, you know, the shells become the sky, which is common. And then it's like what what's inside the egg becomes the earth. Who knows what the membrane was in that in that one? I don't know if they ever shouted out the membrane in that. But so it goes. Anyways, all of this is to say, you you're seeing, and I'm not putting dates on all these because it's it's hard to say um, when like ancient ancient myths are arising we see a lot of these popping up all over like different periods and i'm putting the marker at like 1000 bc to like 500 bc let's say and it's hard to put dates on these things because obviously these stories are prevalent and are relayed by word of mouth and you know art before they're ever like written or ever canonized in certain ways um but yeah so all of 
all over the Eastern Hemisphere, as you see, like West Africa, Greece, uh, East Asia, the islands. Um, yeah, you see like all of these different egg shout outs when there wasn't necessarily cross-cultural um, communication going on there. Like, you know, it's just kind of crazy to think that everybody looked at the egg and immediately thought like, oh, non-differentiation, differentiation. I think that's pretty sick and pretty, pretty smart of our ancestors. So the egg starts this whole pantheon of symbol and myth. Um, and it's a widespread popular tradition, as we're talking about in the Eastern Hemisphere concerning the natural world. So where people take that with meaning and art and all of the airs of this of this story, um, it goes many ways. But where I sort of want to take it is how the egg was then, or how these Ab Ovo creation myths specifically, and the symbol of the egg, were sort of transmuted into the um, Abrahamic faiths and how those symbols were adopted there to co-opt what was going on. I mean, as we saw with the unicorn episode, how these symbols are co-opted by um, institutionalized or new faiths at the time, what was a new faith, to speak to people in a symbolic language that everyone can get on board with, everyone can sort of understand because these myths are already so prevalent. So um, taking it to the Abrahamic faiths, I'm going to be going into Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, um, the Abrahamic faiths, and look at how we see eggs showing up. But just to give more context to the material culture of eggs, we see ornamental ostrich eggs as early as 3000 BCE in Mesopotamia in the form of egg cups. And then we see the wide dispersal of ostrich eggs among the different cultural contexts of the Mediterranean and the Indian Ocean world. We start seeing ostrich eggs suspended in churches and mosques in medieval and Renaissance period. Um, it's sometimes in chandeliers, hanging over lamps, hanging in doorways, uh, even the like little bowls for holy water made out of ostrich eggs. And there's a lot of lore going on around specifically ostrich eggs around this time uh, that links them to why these specifically are in places of worship. But if you're wondering, and I haven't bridged this yet, if you're wondering how we got from a metaphorical cosmic egg to specifically ostrich egg, um, amazing question. The thing is because these you know, ostrich eggs are really big, quite durable. I think the biggest egg, let me see about that. Let me see about that. I think the biggest egg. Okay. Yeah. Ostrich eggs are the biggest egg. Um, so I think part of it in large context or in on the whole, a good bit of why ostrich eggs are so associated with, um, this religious art and architecture is because more fragile eggs aren't gonna hold up over thousands of years and ostrich eggs are really thick 
so and really durable so um when it comes to an egg suspended from the ceiling an ostrich egg is going to be able to survive um and you know other an, an, an eggshell otherwise like a chicken eggs really fragile it's going to decay so that is one reason and from around the second century bc onwards there's a lot of writing in um the mediterranean region specifically around ostriches and their their watchfulness of their eggs and some debate over you know how how their eggs hatch there is this belief that um an ostrich doesn't need to sit on its egg to have it hatch so etc etc we're gonna get into that later um also surprise surprise the ostrich has a pretty um a pretty good story going for it in the physiologus and if you did not listen to the unicorn episode the physiologus was this medieval text that really popped off it was circulating all around like europe north africa mediterranean and it was this book of mythological and real animals and then little moral or biblical stories to back them up and it was um one of the most widely dispersed books at the time so that also really did a lot for egg imagery which leads us to find evidence of specifically suspended eggs in regions of europe asia africa by all different sects of christianity um, including catholic greece coptic nestorian abyssinian armenian and by muslims in places like turkey persia india syria egypt Algeria. So we get a lot of egg imagery specifically in those two. But let's start with Judaism because first of the Abrahamic faiths, I like to go sequentially. So there's a Jewish custom of hanging ostrich eggs in synagogues and burial complexes and murals of birds and eggs sometimes painted in synagogues in the Mediterranean and Middle East. There is only one example of ostrich or egg imagery in a synagogue in Europe, and that is in Ukraine in the town of Gwozdziek. Gwoz, G W O Z D Z I E C. I think Gwozdziek. Anyways, apologize for butchering that one. Um, but there's a lot of debate actually among the writings that I was finding by like Jewish scholars about why exactly eggs are there but it's thought to come from like the predominant argument is that there were early jewish writings on the maternal habits of the ostrich which um which claimed that the ostrich hatches its eggs by intently staring at them rather than by sitting at them so there is this sort of like mystical or do i want to say mystical yeah, there's sort of this like mystical quality given to the ostriches that it by focus and intention and attentiveness through thought can hatch their eggs instead of sitting on them. So some people have theorized that the hanging eggs in synagogues might encourage somebody to concentrate on prayers the way the ostrich concentrates on its eggs um so so sort of a concentration of prayer thing and then a more comical take which i liked 
um, by the scholar Abraham Arfir Shemesh was, um, I'm just going to say the quote, quote, another reason I have received for hanging the eggs in the synagogue is so that those entering will see them and refrain from holding everyday conversations in the synagogue and will be like the egg that has no mouth. So <laughs> a bit more of a um, pragmatic approach. And I don't know if it's so intuitive that I would look at an egg and think I should be like the egg that has no mouth and shut up. But um, maybe maybe it works for some. Maybe there were, maybe there were a few people that uh, that were quiet in temple because of the eggs. Um, and on a side note, although Judaism is the oldest of the Abrahamic faiths, we don't actually see the symbol of the egg in synagogues until the 15th century. So quite a long time. Um, and whereas with churches and mosques, we see it popping up around the 13th century, um, more so that was when it was really widespread, but that was probably because of the physiologus, because as we know, the physiologus did a lot for mythic symbol and sort of unifying or making uniform what, uh, different things mean. So then moving on to Christianity, uh, like I said, the Easter egg was sort of the Christian church co-opting the egg symbol to mean resurrection and the Trinity. Um, also, on a on a very practical note, eggs and or well, meat and dairy in general were formally prohibited during Lent, and eggs were included in this category. So people also think it was a celebration of Lent being over, um, which is a period of like giving up things in the Christian church between when Jesus dies in the calendar and then when Jesus resurrects. But the meat and dairy, so some people think that the Easter egg hunt was sort of people springing out of not being able to eat them during Lent and being really excited to have eggs again. But I, I like the symbolic meaning better. And also it doesn't really make sense because why wouldn't they just have a feast? You know? Well, I guess there is our Easter feasts. I don't know. Anyways. The physiologus had a bit of a harsher take on ostriches than um, Jewish texts would say. So Jewish texts saying the ostrich egg is hatched by the intention and devotion of the ostrich. The physiologus, on the other hand, says um, the ostrich forgetting its egg is like a man forgetting God. Um, and the physiologus argues that ostriches are basically so dumb they don't remember why they're sitting down on the egg until they get up, wander around, abandon the egg, and then come back and then find the egg. And they're like, oh, I was doing that. So, so in the physiologus, I guess they liken the ostrich to man's forgetful nature to like wandering away from god and um having the egg as a constant reminder of what you're doing why you're sitting in contemplation um i don't know though it's it's interesting because all of these things there's it's like a very widely spread trend but it's a bit hard to pin down exactly why 
exactly why this thing started. I mean, also it could just be a decorative trend, like eggs are delicate, but you know, why, why, why? But for churches in late antiquity around the third of the seventh century is when we first start seeing new decorative heights of expression and are featured in different liturgical decorations, including hanging freely from ceilings or being carved or being used in the actual construction of the church or um, having them create chandeliers. And yeah, we just have a lot of ostrich eggs in the actual architecture, the physical architecture. And then in Renaissance paintings is when we actually start seeing them painted as opposed to being a literal ostrich egg. Anyways, that's that on Christianity. Basically, you can find examples of it being used in Renaissance art and then, you know, a lot of architecture in late antiquity and stuff like that. I just love a suspended egg. I loved really looking at the suspended eggs. They can be really decorated up with like, you know, some some steel or iron uh, like holdings on the outside. They get They get pretty... You know, in terms of like creative art pursuits, I would say egg decoration is is up there for me in terms of like ingenuity. And I feel that Islam actually does this the best because I just think there's a, a such a wide range of um, ostrich egg use that's actually that's actually crazy. Which begins in um, well, I I don't know if this begins here, but it, is one of the earliest examples in Jen Mali. Okay, I keep having to pause this my recordings. Um, so apologies if it sounds choppy, but everybody and their grandmas right now is wanting to rev their motorcycles right outside my window. Um, where was I? Right in Jen, the oldest mud brick mosque in the world, which is from around the 13th century, which is this like really large adobe building in the what is it? In the Sudano-Sahelian architectural style. It's also called the Great Mosque of Jen. It has ostrich eggs on top. If you didn't notice, like if you've seen, I had seen pictures of this mosque many times and I never noticed that on the top of all the little spires, there's ostrich eggs. And then in the majority of mosques and Coptic churches in Cairo, you can find eggs all abound all around and abound and they're going to be mounted in metal frames hung by single wires from the roofs so or the ceilings is that a ceiling or a ceiling um so the decoration gets increasingly intricate and delicate around the ostrich egg um and i love that i think it's a bit like goofy and fun that humans have chosen the egg as this as this cross-cultural symbol that represents potentially beginnings and concentration and new life and divinity and godliness and all that stuff some people also theorize that it represents a unity of islam i didn't find anything to back that up though so i don't know where that claim comes from other than that intuitively the egg might represent unity, um, but take that with a grain of salt, perhaps. And as this is going on in an institutionalized context in these mosques, synagogues, 
um, churches from, you know, third century, second century BC up till when they really go off in the Renaissance in like colloquial art or, um, you know, folk art, ostrich eggs are used in homes to ward off the evil eye. They're also a very aesthetically sought after luxury thing. Like people want them as drinking vessels, ornaments. Um, some of them were used as reliquaries. So, um, like a place to keep trinkets. I, I feel bad calling them trinkets, but that's sort of what I see reliquaries as is a place to store, um, like, or display little trinkets. Anyways, that's, that's my reliquary hate. But uh, they were also used to produce lamps um, and like decorated utensils to store water, perfume, all this stuff. It's basically like this luxury phenomenon to have decorated eggs. In the Eastern Hemisphere, it's pretty common to see decorated eggs painted, carved with beeswax designs. We have like the Fabergé eggs in Russia, <laughs> um, which I don't understand really, but you know, go off. They're cute. On a tangent, I used to have a piano teacher who was Russian and she loved like the Fabergé eggs, like the little decorative eggs. I didn't actually know what they were called until I started researching this. Like the little decorative like glass eggs or bejeweled eggs. Um, and she used, used to collect little miniatures of the eggs and if I did really good at piano for like a year or something, she would give me a little decorative egg. So I did, I did also have decorative eggs in my room as a child. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how they're showing up in, you know, the, the trades. There's like a lot of research to be done here and I certainly did not go into a deep dive for, um, for this latter half. I just sort of wanted to do an overview to give a glimpse into how prevalent eggs became in, you know, specifically ostrich eggs in decoration and luxury items in religious spaces, potentially as a direct result of all of these creation myths being so pervasive and a certain sanctity and divinity already associated with the egg. So I don't really know what I wanted to say with this episode, if anything. Um, maybe just that I think it's really cool how these sorts of symbols are carried on to the modern day and like how we see eggs as like seats of new life or whatever um one of my favorite movies is this anime called angel's egg it's this very eerie um sort of existential and surreal anime um and the it's a silent film and the premise is like this girl trying to guard an egg like a very large egg in a post-apocalyptic world and so when I was researching this, I was like, wow, okay, so the director and the artists really took this symbol of the egg as like the seat for new life of birth resurrection and used that in the film in a way that spoke very intuitively to the audiences. I don't know. These are just the loose associations. And then I'm watching Atlanta and 
if anybody watches Atlanta, the most disturbing episode, I think, for a lot of people is the Teddy Perkins episode, um, where basically Donald Glover is, like, this um, very creepy, like, Michael Jackson parody guy, and he's eating an ostrich egg in that episode, and I thought it was really funny because it's, like, ostrich eggs have for so long been a symbol of, like, luxury, wealth, and opulence, and at the same time, like divinity, godliness or whatever. And there's something so particularly disgusting about seeing him munch into this like ooey gooey over easy ostrich egg. It's like, ugh. it's just simply watching that character eat an ostrich egg is disgusting. Anyways, d- yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't really know the, the, the tethers I'm pulling at here. But I do just think that it's interesting that in, you know, the visual culture of today, eggs are still, I off the dome could think of different, you know, visuals of eggs as symbols for rebirth um, or like new life. I don't know that I think is interesting maybe you guys can come to a better conclusion about what this episode meant or anything I think it's a very like individually interpreted thing you know how do eggs show up in your life oh wow wow I just looked over at my um at this collage that I have on a cabinet in one of the one of the magazine covers that I use and it actually has the world egg image on it with the egg and the snake wrapped around it so yeah even just as i'm talking i feel like the little cosmic eggs are showing up that is crazy coincidence i've never even noticed that Hmm. so yeah um if you enjoyed this episode i would be interested to know like what in your experience in your tradition how do eggs show up for you So I think that's about where I'm going to wrap it for this week. Like I said, my name is Zelda Reed and this is a passion project of mine. I just really like going on little research dives about religious studies and different little niches of religious studies that I think are really interesting and fun to explore. I love swimming in the waters of all this symbolic gook. Um, Yeah, so if you also like swimming in the waters of this symbolic gook, please, you know, follow me on Instagram at fringe.religion, donate on Patreon if you can, um, or support the podcast via Patreon if you can. It is Fringe Religion on Patreon, and thank you to our patrons that we have already, and by we, I mean me and all of the (laughs) aspects of myself that go into this podcast, Um, and you can also email me if you'd like at fringereligionpod at gmail.com and uh yeah give it a five-star review like it share it uh tell your friends tell your religious studies professors tell the people in your life that are also weird and want to know about eggs i love you all for listening thank you so much for giving me your ears and your attention or whatever portions of that you could give while you gave it Um, yeah, thank you for listening and I will see you next week. Bye-bye.